0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
1: Hello, I'm Basha Cummings and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise Media. Now, recently I came across a YouTube video from 2021 that had been uploaded by Elon Musk's neurotech startup called Neuralink. And it shows a monkey, a nine-year-old macaque called Pager to be precise. And the voiceover says that the monkey has been trained to play Pong. And actually Pager is pretty good at Pong. But the most astonishing thing about this video is not that he's playing it using a joystick or a mouse or something like that. He's just using his mind. Or more specifically, he's using the Neuralink chip in his brain. The voiceover tells us that Neuralink's goal is to enable a person with paralysis to use a computer or phone with their brain activity alone. This is uncharted territory. There are so many unanswered questions about the ethics of brain implants, like what happens with the data or who does the chip belong to once it's implanted? And crucially, who's responsible to keep it running? I was thinking about some of these questions when I stumbled across a story about a bionic eye that just stopped working. And I asked Nikki Wolf, my brilliant colleague, to go into the dark to investigate a story about Second Sight, a company that promised to transform the lives of people suffering from a rare eye disorder called retinitis pigmentosa. It was a company that was able to partially restore the sight of around 350 people around the world, using a retinal implant combined with some clever technology, until it all went wrong. Over to Nikki
2: okay.
3: It's freezing cold in Augusta, Maine. If you look at a map of the United States, We're in the far northeast corner, closer to Quebec in Canada than we are to New York. All the houses we've gone past on the way here seem to be clad with the same white painted planks. Between that the snow-covered ground and the bare trees all around, it feels like a black and white world. We've come here to meet this guy.
4: You want to Great. bring your gear in first?
3: Ross Dur. Yeah. Nice to, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Too. Um, I stick my hand out. I've forgotten for a second that Ross can't actually see me. There's a briefly awkward moment until his wife steps in and guides my hand to his. Nice to you. Um, hi, hi, I'm Jan. Hi, Jan. doing? my wife, Jan. Um, yeah, where do, do you want to? switch the. What a beautiful home. It really is beautiful, and warm, which is welcome. And it's old. Built in 1789, it's pretty much as old as the United States. I'm telling you this because at times during this interview, you might hear the kitchen's wooden floorboards creaking in the background. So I, I guess if we could start by having you just sort of introduce yourself, um, and then we'll we'll go from there.
4: Okay, My name is Ross Doerr. I live in Augusta, Maine, and I am a retired attorney.
3: Tell us about your blindness and how did it develop?
4: When I was very young, uh, my eyes were not as good as other kids in the school. The whole thing about my eyesight began, I believe I was in first grade, and I was not doing the schoolwork that the teacher was putting up on the blackboard. And
3: I was chastised for that. First grade means Ross was then about six years old.
4: And one day my mother was summoned to school. When you're in first grade and your mother shows up to talk to the teacher about you, it's a death sentence when you're a little kid.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's not a good sign.
4: And I was asked point-blank, why aren't you doing the work I put up on the blackboard? And I said, I can't see it. And the teacher said, well, okay, stand up. Walk up to the front of the room and tell me when you can see it. And I walked up, and I got about two or three feet away from the f- blackboard, and I said, oh, now I can see it. And it got dead quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. And I guess my mother turned white as a sheet.
3: His mom took him to the Mayo Clinic, a well-known medical care and research facility, where he was diagnosed with a genetic condition called retinitis pigmentosa.
4: Okay, you're going to be losing your eyesight. You will go blind. And uh, there's nothing anybody can do about it. There is no treatment. There is no way to stop it. And that's always followed up by the ever hopeful. Well, don't lose hope. There's all kinds of research going on all the time and you never know what's coming. Yeah. (laughs) You hear it all the time. After hearing it for 20 or 30 years, it's, okay, you said the obligatory line. Now, what's next? And little by little, I went blind. As time went on, You know, I was not holding my breath on a a miracle cure or good treatment to come up.
3: But then, half a century later, one did. In 2018, during a routine cataract removal, Ross's eye surgeon told him that his son, who was also an eye surgeon, was working with a tech company on an eye implant device called the Argus.
4: And he said, you might be a candidate for this but you'd have to go to Boston and see my son. Now, it's up to you, you know, I'm not selling any, I'm not getting anything out of this, but uh, maybe you can talk to him.
3: This is the Slow Newscast. I'm Nikki Wolf. In this episode, we'll look at what the story of one company tells us about the promises and the pitfalls of biotechnology. And this this on the table, this is the the device, yeah? Yes, it is. In 2002, a small California-based company called Second Sight Medical Products began clinical trials on a radical new device aimed at helping people like Ross see again. They named the retinal implant and the parts that went with it the Argus, after a hundred-eyed giant from Greek mythology. Their second-generation device, the Argus II, was approved for clinical use in the EU in 2011 and the US in 2013. Six years after its US approval, Ross underwent surgery in a hospital in Boston and became an Argus II user. Um, So sort of walk walk me through it sort of piece by piece. You've got the sort of like Oakley sunglasses. Yeah. And you can see the camera in in the middle there. There are several components to the Argus device. Ross has laid them out on the table to show me. Okay,
4: this round hole here, that's where the cable from the glasses gets plugged in.
3: And then there's the sort of battery and and general pack.
4: I'm going to turn it on. This is the visual processing unit.
3: The real magic, though, is on the inside of Ross's right eye. His condition had destroyed the light-sensing cells of the retina at the back of the eyeball that allow humans to see. The Argus implant, a tiny microchip consisting of a grid of electrode needles, was surgically placed onto Ross's retina and connected to the optic nerve.
4: The Bluetooth signal. Now I'm going to turn this on. You're going to hear a couple of
3: beeps. These glasses wirelessly transmit the signal from the camera to the chip, which translates them into electrical signals.
4: Because you have to wait anywhere from... Fifteen to twenty seconds for things to kick
3: in. Effectively, they perform the job that the cells used to do. There we
4: are. We just kicked in.
3: Uh, so tell, tell me what you can what you can see right now. And so it, now is I'm it,
4: looking at something right now. Is that you?
3: That's me. Hi, oh, waving. Oh, <laughs> yes, I did. You, you see that movement? that movement?
4: Yes, and all it is is the. Uh, it is so hard to articulate. What is happening here? I'm seeing the flashing lights, and as I move like this, what comes in and out of my visual field changes.
3: Ross was fully blind for 30 years. Today, he can see me.
4: The surgery was done in April of 2019, And I waited a month for the swelling to go down and all the rest of that. And I was activated, if you will, at the end of May, the following month. They programmed me and then they said, okay, Ross, we're gonna turn it on. And they turned it on and I said, where's Jan? I want my wife. And she walked in front of me and I said, what was that? And the doctor said, that was your wife.
3: And you'd never seen...
4: I I could still see a little bit when we got married, but i got to tell you, it was so nice to see her again. Just flashing lights, but it meant the world.
3: It really did. The field of what he can see is narrow. Ross says it's like looking through a periscope. It's also very limited in resolution. There's no colour or depth perception. To Russ, though, this felt like a miracle.
4: Uh, we went, uh, year before last, to see a lighthouse. You know, stand on the ground and look at a lighthouse. You can see the outline. And funny story connected with that, uh, Jan told me we were about 75 feet away from the lighthouse. And I said, fine. I think I'm looking at it. And I started looking up, and then I saw something else that I wasn't sure was the lighthouse. And I called Jan over, and I said, what's that? What am I looking at? It's a cloud. I could see a cloud. I hadn't seen a cloud in years. That's how much it means. <clears throat> a lot of people can't understand that. You know, something that simple.
2: That was, um, when I was 11, I get a diagnosed of retinitis pigmentosa.
3: This is Jürgen Perk. He's Dutch, in case you were wondering.
2: Till my 15th, I seen very well, and after my 15th, it got worse and worse and on in two years' time I lost 80 to 90% of my vision, so it was rough time, hard time. And after that the the, the vision get got gets worse and worse. And I think on my 35-36 there was nothing left, uh, only only little bit dark and light. It was it was nothing.
3: When he was eleven, Jürgen found out the same thing as Ross did that he has the genetic condition retinitis pigmentosa and that it was going to make him blind. What did that feel like when they first told you that diagnosis?
2: Yeah, in the beginning, I don't knew what it was, but uh, when I lost my vision, it was it was worse. I don't want to be living in the dark. I got uh, yeah, a little bit of a depression when I was 16, and there was a moment, I think it was one or two nights, I don't want to live anymore, because, yeah, you can't do anything without sight. You can't be who you want to be.
3: One Friday in 2013, he got an email from a colleague with a link to a news story about second sight. He began to imagine what it might be like to see again.
2: In the beginning, I was a little bit anxious because, uh, okay, do I want to have a little bit of vision back? Is it okay? My life is good and was Two or three days, I was thinking about, okay, must I do this? And I talked with a few people about it, and I yeah. I think, okay, that's this a big dream. I must do it. I want I want to have that that little bit of vision. So that was the decision. Okay, I want it. I'm gonna do this. I sent a message to someone who I know at the Eye Hospital in Nijmegen. And I asked him about, do you know the system? And he gave me some information. And in that same e- email where there was the information about the Argus II system, uh, there was one note in there was a hospital in the Netherlands in Amsterdam who are looking for three patients to implant the Argus II systems. And so they asked me, Shall we bring you in contact? And I said yes. And uh, I got some talks with the eye hospital in Amsterdam. And I was one of the lucky bastards to get the system, one of the three patients in the Netherlands.
3: A few weeks after the implant surgery, Jürgen's device was switched on.
2: camera goes on and there was my dog. I got a black dog, Pedro, and he was on the white floor. And I was I was scanning with the system. And I see the difference between the dog and and, and, and the white ground. And it was so, yeah, it was so very amazing. I was crying. It was emotional.
3: Jürgen became an ambassador for the company speaking about the Argus system to the media and to potential patients. He used it when he went skiing.
2: Yeah, we going on the slopes and it happened so well and it was surprising and it was a miracle.
3: And on the day he married his wife, Nanda, in 2018.
2: I think the, the first moment was, was the shapes of her dress and yeah, it was very nice. I never had seen that, that wedding dress from Nanda with, uh, without the Argus.
3: It was science fiction authors like William Gibson, author of Neuromancer, who really brought the idea of bionics into the public consciousness. It's taken science decades to catch up with the imagination, but we are now pushing the boundaries of which bits of the human body and brain we can fix, or even improve, and the development and use of bionic devices has become a multi-billion dollar industry.
0: This is really fascinating stuff. What you're looking at right now is a paralyzed man using his mind in order to create the words that appear on the screen.
3: Brain implants are now successfully being used to treat depression.
0: It's implanted like a pacemaker just underneath their collarbone. And these two wires
3: are inserted directly into the brain. Other companies like Elon Musk's Neuralink are investigating how the brain could directly interact with a computer or a bionic arm.
2: We can do a full brain machine interface achieve a sort of symbiosis with artificial intelligence.
3: But this industry sits at the nexus where altruistic science meets ambition, money, and, especially when Silicon Valley firms get involved, ego. The hype around biotech is enormous. And for years, Second Sight was part of it.
0: But a new camera implanted into people who see only darkness is bringing light back into their lives.
5: 60 electrodes.
0: These
6: patients who are completely blind before the
5: surgery. Surgically
0: placed into the retinal tissue. The real takeaway here is that we are eliminating human blindness.
3: Yaren, in 2013, was one of the earliest patients to have the Argus device implanted. Six years later, Ross would turn out to be one of the last. It was Ross's stepson who first told him something was wrong in March 2020.
4: He went to college with a guy who works out in California, and he got an an email from him, and his friend said, the company that manufactured the Argus II, isn't that Second Sight Medical Products? Isn't that who your stepfather got his uh, Argus II from? And the response was yes. And he said, well, doesn't Ross know? They're going out of business.
3: Looking for reassurance, he called his patient support technician at Second Sight. And I said, Anna, I just heard
4: thus and so. Is this true? And she said, well, funny thing you would call me, Ross. We all just lost our jobs. First thing I said was, what did Second Sight medical products tell you to relate to those of us with the implant? She said, we asked them that. And they said, anybody who has any questions, refer them to our website. That was it. And I was thunderstruck. I said, you're kidding. She says, no, I'm not. And I'm sorry you had to learn about it this way.
3: Ross and Joran and the hundreds of other people with the Argus 2 device suddenly found themselves with obsolete and unsupported gadgets in their eyes. Although they might still work, there was no longer any assurance of repairs or replacements in the future. And no one could tell them when they might be plunged back into the dark. I use it a
4: lot more sparingly now because if it wears out or breaks, you're dead. You're dead in the water. You're stuck. You have about half a million dollars worth of technology in your eye that is completely useless. Thank you, Second Sight.
3: Urine's in the same boat. What happens now with the implant when, you know, when you run out of spare parts? What, what happens then?
2: Dancing in the dark. <laughs>
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give
3: it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right.
7: Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure?
5: Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out?
7: Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me,
5: Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann
7: Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I think Second Sight is really a, a sad story and a cautionary tale.
3: This is Eliza.
6: I'm Eliza Strickland, and I'm a senior editor at the technology publication IEEE Spectrum.
3: It was Eliza along with investigative journalist Mark Harris, who broke the story that Second Sight had gone bust.
6: I have been following this company since about 2011. Um, That's when the company had just gotten approval for its retinal implant in Europe, and it was working towards approval in the US. And I wrote a story that was really kind of a gee whiz story, like Isn't this technology amazing? They're bringing eyesight to the blind. But then in 2020, they ran out of money and basically weren't able to hold up their end of the bargain at that point.
3: The company went into freefall.
6: They sold everything at auction. They sold their laptops, they sold their equipment, they sold their shelving units. So they had nothing left to help people with.
3: I guess this might be a good time to to get into the, the business story. What went wrong?
6: Well, it's a combination of factors, and that's really one of the questions that motivated our reporting when we started out. Was it, was it that they had a bad business plan? Did the technology not work well enough? You know, were the regulations too oppressive? Uh, and it seemed to be a combination of those three things.
3: On top of that, the pandemic had struck, drying up a lot of grant funding all across the medical world for anything non-COVID related. Eliza calls it bad luck.
6: The people who started the company were definitely coming from the science side. These were you know, MDs and engineers who were really trying to make um, a revolutionary medical device for people. And I, I do believe they had the best of intentions and really hoped to help people. I think they weren't able to predict how the money issues would play out. One of the co-founders told me that Yes, the device was reimbursed at the cost of $150,000, but it probably should have been reimbursed at three or four or five times that amount to actually make a go of it. But at the time, it, it seemed astronomical that they were getting $150,000 the device, so it, it didn't seem like they could even ask for more.
0: Thank you for calling Second Sight Medical Products. We are unable to return your call immediately. If you are a current Argus 2 user or an implanting please center, please urgent- the
3: Hi, uh, my name is Nikki Wolf. I'm a reporter with uh, Tortoise Did you Media say your last based name in the That's correct. Yeah. You said a reporter with where? Tortoise Media. Not unexpectedly, we couldn't get anyone from Second Sight to speak to us, and repeated attempts to contact them went unanswered. The company's gone through several leadership changes since its crisis, and none of the previous CEOs or the acting current CEO responded to our interview requests. At the time it went under, scientists at Second Sight were trialling a new technology called the Orion that would use a brain implant rather than an ocular implant to transmit vision. Another biotech firm, Nano Precision Medical, is now in the process of buying Second Sight. But there isn't much left to buy, apart from the intellectual property on the Orion and the Argus. The CEO of Nano Precision Medical did agree to speak to Eliza for her article with IEEE.
6: And he said the right things. He said that he wants to help the patients. He doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the past, but it's really unclear what he could do to help people. Second Sight has a very limited inventory of external spare parts, of glasses and video processing units, um, but they're not making any more. They don't have the equipment or the staff to make any more. They can't repair or replace the retinal implants, Basically, what they have right now is that limited inventory of spare parts, a little bit of institutional knowledge left, and this great IP with the brain implant, Which, though it's not clear if that's going to be developed. Thank you for calling
0: the New England Eye Center at Tops Medical Center. We'll give your call all the time you
5: need. If this is a medical emergency, please hang up and dial 911 or call your local emergency response.
3: It's not just the company which we found hard to get hold of. Lots of the scientists and surgeons who were quoted in the media in the early 2010s as the first to provide the Argus II implants now seem very reluctant to speak. One of the doctors did tell us he was working on a way of keeping the Argus system going, but he didn't want to be interviewed. In the process of reporting the story, the thing that's really stuck with me is how cruel it feels to have been given sight and then to have it taken away. There's also a wider point that's been bugging me. Is it a good idea? Is it sensible for this kind of vital medical device to be at the whim of the free market?
5: Because on the one hand, you may have stockholders, you know, publicly held companies have stockholders to whom you have an obligation as a business to return share on and profit. On the other hand, you have stakeholders who are the patients who are benefiting from this technology. And at times, those two things pull in in different directions.
3: Margaret McLean is a senior lecturer in bioethics at Santa Clara University. She shares my concern that a fully private healthcare company might not be the best way to go, especially when it comes to experimental treatments.
5: If it's solely in the private sphere, there's a door between the public and what's going on in that clinical trial. There are walls and a door. What public funding gives you is a window into that clinical trial. You know, the COVID-19 vaccines are the poster vaccine for this of the really great synergy that can be achieved by public-private funding and public-private partnerships.
3: Second Sight was the sole provider of the Argus II. Doesn't that mean it had a responsibility to its users?
5: So it's one thing if a pharmaceutical company decides, you know what, we're not going to make ibuprofen anymore. Okay, There are plenty of companies who make ibuprofen. I'm not worried. But if you make the only thing that a particular group of patients relies on, that's a different story. And I would guess that most of us, if we had some assistive device implanted and it went wrong, that we would assume that we could go back and get that fixed.
3: For Margaret, the most important thing is that patients should be able to rely on their medical providers to act in their best interests.
5: And it's the case in clinical trials, it's the case with, you know, cutting-edge biotech, and it's the case in everyday medicine. The whole thing, the whole darn thing, is predicated on trust.
3: I ask Eliza what she thinks Liza had with this kind of technology.
5: We're at the beginning of this
6: sort of bionic cyborg age, and we're gonna see some messy parts before before it gets settled. You don't want to stifle innovation. No one wants to stifle innovation, but at the same time, there needs to be some kind of plan in place for these kind of people.
4: Since I've retired, one of the things I've done is I've started writing murder mysteries.
3: Oh, amazing. And, Can I read uh, some of them?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't gotten published yet. Um, oh, wow.
3: Ross has a great okay. sense of humor uh, and is pretty philosophical about everything that's happened. What you know, but he's also, so understandably, place, angry. They
4: made a promise, and then they not only dumped me and didn't tell me, but didn't have the guts to contact me after the fact.
3: He's actually in a particularly bad situation right now. He needs an MRI scan to check for possible cancer, but he's been unable to contact anyone at second sight to find out if the procedure would be safe with the implant. It took him four months and a concerted campaign of phone calls and constant social media posts to even get an answer from the company about whether he could safely get a routine dental x-ray.
4: I wasn't Born last night. You know, don't keep me in the dark about stuff. But you are. You're keeping me in the dark. Do something.
3: Literally, right? I mean.
4: Yeah. Actions speak louder than words. If you say you're going to do something, do
3: it. Joran, who isn't facing the kind of dire choice Ross is, is more relaxed.
2: I don't want to talk about mistakes, but. I think the, the most of the frustration uh, with, with patients and a lot of searching. So there is isn't there is no information about, okay, why did we stop and what is happening now? And I think that's the only mistake.
3: A few months after he'd discovered Second Sight had gone bust, Jürgen's Argus actually broke.
2: It was in November when, when I used the system in November 2020. And I was on a weekend, on a, this holiday weekend, and... I was wearing the system, and the system fell on the ground, and it was broken. And at that moment, there was, there was no support anymore in Europe for the system for second sight. So I was thinking, ah, now my system is broken, and what's, what's now? Okay, must I live in the dark again? And on that Monday, Tuesday, after the weekend, I thought, okay, I want it back, and I want to fight for it.
3: He found a way to jerry-rig fix his device and got it working again. And since then, he's been buying up potential spare parts online.
2: You know the song of the beastie boys. It's it's not even you fight for your right, but you fight for your light, and that was what happened. I want to fight for that light. I want to back to have that system.
3: This hasn't put you off, kind of, you know, using these technologies. You want to just keep going, get as much kind of, you know, harness progress as much as possible, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, but that's that's my style of living, uh, Nikki. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just positive, and, okay, I believe in the future, Chips, and I I want to have the progression, because I know how I lived that nine years, nine years, I, yeah, in the the nine years, the, the, yeah, I get big dreams, and it was going very well, we, we did a lot of trips, Uh, I married with my wife, it was, it was, yeah, I think it was the most, most wonderful time at, at, at my life, in nine years, so... When I get that offering, I think, uh, tomorrow or the day after, I don't have to think twice.
4: Thank you for listening to me, Randall. Sorry, it's always
5: the unpacking. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: many tables. On the way back from interviewing Ross, My field producer, Carly, said something I thought was very insightful, that to her, how Ross feels might be about much more than how he was personally treated. It's more about what this has meant for the whole field, the industry, and most especially for others who the device might have helped. When I listened back to the interview, I knew exactly what she meant.
4: When I went through the surgery the cost of the implant, the cost of the, uh, the surgical team, the whole thing, all of the medications, you know, you're talking top-notch surgeons doing cutting-edge surgery, the whole bit. I couldn't afford that. My insurance company did, plus Medicare. After the surgery, when we got the first breakdown of the costs, $497,000. Wow. Just shy of half a million dollars.
3: That's a flabbergasting amount
4: of money. Now, that's a big chunk of change that the insurance company parted with. The next time somebody goes to the insurance industry and says, I want this because it'll give me my eyesight back or it'll give me my hearing back, how do you think they're going to react?
3: You know? I think Carly's right. I think the way Ross feels is about more than just his own experience. He's sad that something that had the potential to be a huge breakthrough has come to nothing, at least for this company.
4: My view of the whole darn thing is, the next time something like this crops up, who's going to trust the company doing it? You have just dumped 350 people worldwide who trusted you. Now who's going to trust you? Whether it's Second Sight Medical Products or anybody else, you have destroyed
3: trust in this field. How are you going to rebuild it? He's angry because of what the debacle means for other people, other patients, current and future. There's a nobility in that, I think.
4: I think for the future, when it comes to this kind of biomedical prosthetic. There needs to be some sort of an international understanding where if you promise people something like this, that you're going to support them, you actually have to do it. You can't just say, gee, we're not making the profit we used to make. Sorry. And walk away. They dumped people all over the world. And I'm sorry, but that's unforgivable. You just don't do that.
3: Joren gets directly to the point, in a way that I've come to understand as characteristic of him.
2: It's a little bit of risk-taking, you're but one company must be the pioneer, but also the, one of the patients must be the, bio, bio, the, the pioneer.
3: The bionic pioneer.
2: I want to be a bionic pioneer, I think, yeah, that's right. Ross, in
3: our interview, demurred when I asked if he considered himself a pioneer. But I think he is one nonetheless. I think they both are. He and Jörn were part of a grand adventure, as well as an experiment. Something that was truly meaningful for them, and, it felt, for the future of mankind. That's been taken from them. It's a complicated set of feelings
4: one of the other things i knew i was i was getting into was this is experimental it's the very first version i might not live long enough to see the final version but it's a start and if people like me didn't step forward and say yes i'll let you put that in my eye how are you going to get real information on what does and doesn't work
3: I think I've identified the vibe I've been trying to wrap my head around as I processed my conversation with Ross. The combination of the intense joy and pride at being part of this pioneering cohort, and then the bone-deep sorrow of being one of the last of them. The feeling of having come from the darkness into the light, and then not knowing when you'll return to that darkness again. It would be easy to take all of this as a lesson in pure hubris but i think that's not right either there's a lot of hope here people like second sight's patients are still trailblazers whatever happened to the company we don't stop exploring just because one trail is a dead end we press on explore more that's what progress is the lessons of second sight will be learned and one day possibly soon a new team will pick up from where they left off the road won't always be smooth but we won't slip back into darkness forever actually I'll let Ross have the last word on this
4: there's an old saying I don't know who wrote it but it goes the religious man said if God would have meant man to fly he'd have given him wings the scientist said God gave man the intelligence to make his own wings. And the adventurer said, I have wings. Show me the way. Here's my way. I was willing to do that. Lots of other people weren't. But once again, I just have to keep going back to saying, it's a start. It's a beginning. It's the building block. I mean, the Wright brothers built a fixed wing aircraft, first powered airplane. Started somewhere. I mean, now we're flying to the moon. We're sending robots to Mars. You had to start somewhere.
3: This story was reported by me, Nikki Wolf, and produced by Hannah Varrell. The sound design was by Carla Patala and field producing by Carly Puccio. The editors were Jasper Corbett and Basha Cummings.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast. If you like what we do, you like our stories, you like our investigations and you want to support us and you want to get more of what we do, then you can join us as a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50. That's B-A-S-I-A 5-0. Thank you and I'll see you next week.
7: What's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure?
5: Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to
7: without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones.
5: And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez.
7: Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.